welcome to the Azra Rap Podcast. In this episode, we rebroadcast the Facebook live streams from the Azra 2017 Spring Meeting in San Francisco. Hope you enjoy the episodes. Yeah, I haven't gotten into that yet. So. 
Uh, the the meeting's been great. Kelly, come in.
actually, I think this is one of the most underrated sessions because... The moderated poster sessions? Yeah, some yeah. of the science uh, like, of these posters are really great. Yeah. But unfortunately, like, you know, they overlap with some other sessions. Of course, yeah. So you yeah. don't get... Too, that's a good problem. There's too many good things to see. Yeah, oh, exactly. wait, wait till next year. The World Congress next year in New York. There are going to be yeah, so be many things happen. happening at the same time. Like, yeah. you're not, your head's going to spin, but it's, that's going to be a really good meeting. A lot of good stuff. I'm already in uh, poster session tomorrow, so I'm excited to hear all the... Great group of people we have for the last couple of years. Yeah. Colin McCartney, I've got John Lee Horn, 
got Peggy Johnson and Steve Orbach. And so yeah, it's interesting, though, because every year we think, well, maybe next year people aren't going to come right. because everyone knows everything about upper extremity. But so every year, who's, attending? who's attending the meeting? It's actually interesting because I think years ago when we first started doing the upper extremity comprehensive workshop, it was all really like new, like newly interested regional anesthesiologists. So we found that um, the format that we've made our workshop is pretty flexible. So okay. Are you finding different questions now? Oh, yeah. Different questions yeah. about, like, dose and, you know, duration? Yeah. and I think that people want to know, well, like, I know how to do this block, and this works for most of my patients, but what do I do when I have that patient that's a little bit more difficult? You know, what do I do when you know, the patient has a, a pacemaker in the way from my infraclavicular? What do I do next? Um, and they ask about things like, things that they read. So, you know, people ask you for,
information, which is the right amount of, of density, they need to be able to titrate it based on what the patient needs and based on what the expectations are. So most people do that, don't they? You sort of tailor, but you, know, you could use Dexron and someone who says, approach. I hate opioids, I would never, I wanted and then to. And then I would argue only one approach for extending nerve blocks actually provides the titratability. Somebody tries to get me away from doing catheters. I keep finding reasons that that's still the best right. choice. As, as labor-intensive as it is, as difficult as it is uh, to manage it, there is no magic bullet that solves that problem yet. If you take the time though, you have a block release for the catheter tight, it could stay, and it also shows that it's working. Right. The surgeon's like, I want it out. You stop the infusion. Now I have pain. You have the ability to restart it. Just, what do you think of these catheter over needles? You know, we actually just uh, we published a study on, on one a cadaver study, uh, using a cadaver model just recently, just comparing um, catheter migration. And I think that it's a catheter over needle. I think is, is effective for certain sites, but not all sites. And the catheter itself has to be it's mandatory that it actually has to be a little bit stiffer to slide over the needle. And so we actually found that those catheters dislocate in the cadaver model more frequently than the catheter through needle. If you use a if you use a flexible epidural tech catheter, so I think that. Um, If you expended as much energy in, uh, in, the, in, in attacking catheters as you did on trying to just make catheters work, I think you'd have a more successful catheter-based practice. We, we honestly, our catheters go in like five minutes or less than five minutes, but all the time is set in prepping and draping and then taping and securing afterwards. Like, that's the vast majority of the procedure. We found most people use catheters. So in my practice, we use no catheters. Yeah. Uh, or very, very, very rarely use catheters. Do most people do what?
not all of Europe, but certain countries in Europe also have a similar model. They have the state-run system, and then they also have a private model. Um, yeah, I think it's hard to imagine that we would eliminate a private model. But at the same time, I think we have to work on the, right now on the assumption that, um, that the trend that most people who have government uh, provided insurance is going to keep. Because I mean, right now, like more people in the country are insured by the government in some form, right? And so I think um, if, you look, if you follow that logic, then you say, well, yeah, the government uh, now is, is not very interested in paying incrementally for all of services. You know, they want to show up at the restaurant, they want to get the prefix, and they're going to pay that amount, and they're going to get all of these things. And so regardless, you know, that amount's not going to be paid. watching but but we're recording it too so we'll put it out so Rob, well. Rob, Rob helps me out a lot every year so he, he teaches the uh, CSA intensive regional anesthesia workshop buddy. oh okay How's your meeting been going yeah. so far? I'm loving it. It's yeah. great. Yeah, I was really impressed with all of it today. I even tweeted. So there you go. There you go. We're on social media. It, it, it's contagious. You I know. know. I, I didn't do it correctly, I don't think. <laughs> I don't know if you can incorrect. Well, can. there are people well, that yeah. incorrect tweet, but we won't yeah. get into that. It went out. So. It just didn't have the hashtag as actually. Oh, okay. The critical right. element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a critical element. <laughs> that is. Critical. That is. That, is that way people yeah. find it. What did you do today? Were you in lectures or workshops? or? Considerations for interstating blocks and plus or minus capital placements. Sarah, so, do you guys know each other? Oh yeah, we're Eric. Eric nice Schwab. You. you know, I've uh, I haven't met you, but I've heard both of you on the Azure Pods thing. There you go. That's what, this is an extension of that. We're where actually going to release where do you this. Practice? I'm at UC Davis in California, Sacramento. Okay, yeah. So we're going to release Zell. the audio on this on the podcast too. No, it's not. So you'll be a part Zell. of it. What's that? John Zell. Exactly, John Zell. So he's a Jefferson guy. All right. You train together or? He was a little bit after. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, no, he's, uh, he's there with us. He might, I'm not sure if he's turning up. He probably is. So. Well, I think we should uh, wind it down for today. What do you think? Sounds good. So, uh, this is uh, the Azra Spring Meeting. Uh, we're in the exhibit hall for the opening day, and we're going to be back tomorrow afternoon. I think, what was it, 3.30 or so? And uh, we'll be back on Facebook tomorrow. Live during the break at the exhibit hall. So, Watch us live. We're going to put the audio and the video. The video will be back up on Facebook right after this, and then the audio we'll put out on the podcast when I get back home and I can have time to edit the audio and get it out there. So, um, so hopefully that will be coming out on the Azure Wrap podcast stream. Check us out on there. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, too. We'd love to have you guys listening as we're making shows down the road. Uh, they won't be on video because we sound better than we look most of the time. So, so
except for Eric, he looks pretty good. So the lighting does you nicely. So, all right. Good. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. We're back live from the Azra Spring 2017 meeting. Um, I'm with my two friends here, Eric Schneid, Gary Schwartz. We're going to kind of talk a little bit about the meeting. Before we start, I hope you guys saw our video from uh, last night. It was a little bit more raucous than what we have going on behind us. No Chinese uh, parades today. No yet. Chinese parades, a lot less bubbly. And um, so, so we'll see. I think people are drinking more coffee today than they are drinking champagne. But we'll see who comes up and talks with us, and we've invited a few people if they're bold enough to walk up and talk to us under the hot light, but uh, in the meantime, we're going to talk about what we saw at the meeting so far and what we think is sort of hot topics. Um, Eric, you want to start off? Anything that jumps to mind as far as things that you thought were interesting um, this year around? I think there's a, there's a couple things. I mean, there's always a lot of interest in total knee, arthroplasty, and analgesia. I thought there was a considerable amount of interest in questions after Ed Mariano's talk this morning about adductor canal versus uh, femoral block that always just continues to be a popular issue. I mean, just when you keep thinking, like, how much can you really discuss this and, like, you know, you kind of beating a dead horse, but there always seems to be interest. And there's another little twist in this there's story. There's always something else, yeah. a different place to do it, how much local are you doing, how are you running it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that seems to be... Uh, so I didn't I didn't get the chance to attend that session. Was there anything new he said that you think really well, kind of brought home, like, which was a better choice to you? I kind of only caught the, the tail end myself. I just know that there was, you know, the, of, all the, of all the sessions I saw, that seemed to generate some of the most... Uh, the most there are a lot of questions, questions and stuff. Yeah, a lot I mean, of the questions could... seem to be versus a single shot versus catheter. Do you keep the catheter in if they're leaving for the hospital and send them home with the catheter? But I think the do you guys do that? You send people home with femoral nerve catheters? Very, very rarely. Like maybe twice a year we do a special occasion from the hospital, from a, this is a surgeon. Most times they stay in-house. I think the biggest takeaway from Ed's talk and the whole talk with the post-op joint protocols, multimodal, some sort of NSAID, Tylenol, periarticular injection by the surgeon, and they recommend the deductor canal. Depending on the institution, it's catheter versus single shot. Seems like people are getting away from the previous gold standard of uh, femoral nerve block just for the motor weakness. And it seems like the multimodal is helping carry people through the initial post-op day one and two with uh, yeah, less I mean, motor weakness. We had we had a previous podcast on this um, before we had a couple way. other people um, that was really successful. But I think one of the issues we touched on is like, how do you know? How do you know which people to do the femoral block for? And it's still an area that's not really yeah. fine. You know, a ductor canal seems to be good. The study suggests it's it's equivalent or close to, but in our clinical practice, that doesn't always seem cold water. You know, you see you see some patients that, for whatever reason, the ductor canal block is just not adequate, and you don't always have a great explanation other than the inconsistency of the block. One other interesting point I saw, I believe I forgot the physician's name from Virginia Mason brought up, as they're doing more of these adductor canal blocks, putting the catheter in, as you guys know, the research shows 30% of them do fall out of some case reports of myositis. From the infusion? From the infusion, from the local anesthetic, so they have some small smattering of case reports. I don't know if we're going to see it more, because you might go into the sartorius, I'm assuming, that it happens from the local anesthetic. Now that this block is more prevalent, it seems like people are adding it more to their protocols. I don't know if we're going to see more of it. 
And are those the ones that are having pain despite it, at a, having an adductor canal block? Is it's actually is no longer in the sheath? And right. I mean, is that maybe aggravating that the pain going even on? Myositis? Yeah, is that what's going on? I mean, I a little bit unrelated, but I had a surgeon maybe a year and a half, two years ago, talk to me about a patient with some weakness basically in the sciatic distribution after having the doctor block. It was one of these kind of like, you know, you roll your eyes a little bit, okay, and the surgeon doesn't really understand like the anatomy. And then, and then they had the case report that came out later of actually having basically sciatic nerve palsy after an inductor canal block because of the compartments being, you know, They're being adjacent. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, there's more and more literature comes out. Maybe there's there's always like some hidden pitfalls and complications. Yeah, it seems like whenever we try to solve one problem with another, we keep getting into another set of problems. Um, and and, and I, I wonder if the surgeons are doing good periarticular injections. Is the adductor canal block adding much to that injection? Um, you're not that far away. Are you getting any new nerves that they happen not to be getting um, during that periarticular injection, or is it a duration difference, um, or do you have to put a catheter to make the difference? You know, I don't. I don't think I know the answer to that question. Sure. It seems like when people are putting catheters, especially one of the big questions that came up too is where do you put the catheter because they're going to put a tourniquet for the surgery. Yeah. So I think Ed mentioned that he or puts do you it do in after. Order, or the other option is doing yeah. it after. Also, I think Ed was saying that he does it a little bit more proximal. Subsartorial approach, more proximal, so above where they would normally put. And then there's also the discussion of if you put it up that high, then is the local trend? Uh, Are you necessarily doing a femoral? Yeah, you're, you're just, just doing a low femoral. Calling it a ductor canal. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had a fellow do it, doing a ductor canal block a couple weeks ago, and I came and looked at it, and I said, that's femoral. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I mean, when it's he's just, it's you just know, a but it's poorly, poorly like, done femoral. <laughs> right, and, 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 and maybe an obese patient with kind of shorter thighs. I mean, the, the difference between a femoral and a the Ducker Canal may be a matter of centimeters sometimes. And there's one institution I was hearing about, they do uh, pre-operative single-shot femorals um, with a, you know, a relatively low-dose local anesthetic, and then post-op come to the adductor canal catheter so that they don't get, so they wake up with analgesia that's a little bit more profound from the femoral, but it doesn't last so long to cause them weakness into the post-operative period, and then they transition to an adductor canal block, but that catheter is not in the way of the tourniquet or the surgical field during the procedure. Now, that's a very labor-intense process to do two and blocks. And a lot of questions and issues, but it's, it's And then a, you also worry about dose nice and toxicity of the nerves and, and, and potential double hit. Nerve injury, I mean, you, you have a chance to right. hit both the femoral and the saphenous at yeah. various points, you know, double chance of nerve, of nerve damage potentially. Right. Sounds like it's a specialized institution that would have to time the place to block before and after. Well, it depends on the stopping. volume, too, you yeah. know, how many are you doing. So, I mean, but it's it, it clearly points out that people are trying to solve this problem in different ways, yeah, yeah. and we haven't, for some reason, total knees keep evading us as a perfect solution. I think it's just, it's a complicated part of the body with a lot of nerves going to it, and it hurts after surgery. That's the biggest thing. It's, yeah. it's one of the most painful joints that you're going to have replaced, one of the most common surgeries. Yeah. Now with bundled care, all the hospital administrators and most departments are trying to get people out earlier. How can yeah. we get someone out on day one? Or yeah. definitely day two, but if right. possible, day one. Yeah. I know they have these surgery centers in the Midwest that the healthier, slimmer people that are getting these knee replacements. On day surgery. On the pretty day surgery could have, especially the... It's tough with the knees. I mean, we have some hip patients that, that if they're earlier cases in the day can go home the same Especially day. The but I think for, the, for knees, it's, it's awfully difficult yeah. to have the pain that well controlled and the spinal worn off and up and moving and gone. What else have you seen? Gary, so, anything else interesting? Another poster, the, one of the best of meetings from a Virginia Mason, which is one of the top uh, institutions in the country out west in Seattle. Uh, and for post-op pain management for total shoulders, interscaling versus superclavicular versus 
super scapular, right? Super scapular. Yeah, all three it. they did. It's all like three. word salad after yeah. a while. It's a little bit difficult getting all these words out. And they they really showed from their study that there was really no difference in pain. They all showed wonderful relief. But the super scapular nerve catheters had less incidence of phrenic nerve block, less respiratory complications, less incidence of catheter migration. So maybe that will become the gold standard. Now was that, I didn't get a chance to look at the details. Were they doing like an anterior approach to the super scapular or a posterior? I believe anterior, I'm pulling up the study right now just yeah, so I can reference okay. it if you give me a second. I was going to say the posterior approach, you have, you have really 0% chance of phrenic palsy. Right. right. I mean, that's being discussed. I was in a in that review by Tran in, in RPM last they month. They didn't mention it, but that's what well, it looks I think like that's where a picture. lot of the real, yeah, I don't, I don't this think looks I like a picture reading. from the posterior yeah. approach looks like. You can but, combine that, you know, but but you don't get you don't get full analgesia of the shoulder with the suprascapular because of, there's additional innervation that you need. Well, you don't get any of the pec muscle. You don't get any of the anterior components. You, you don't get the super. You don't get the nerve. Super, yeah, superficial scapular. So, I mean, superficial cervical plexus is not blocked. Right. I, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other uh, two days ago, and I was like, you know, it really strikes me that this discussion of the suprascapular nerve sounds vaguely familiar to the discussion of the adductor canal block. And I'm wondering if, you know, if you put it in context, it's like we're trying to get away from some complications that are bad. We know this is sort of the gold standard. If we can kind of get to a more distal nerve away from some of the bad stuff, we can just have good analgesia without the bad stuff. And everybody's excited about it. And then about two years later, we're going to come back and say, well, some of these, and, you know, that's just me being a skeptic, but... No, That's I, my I, concern is that it sounds like the same story, there. you know. But I think I think one difference why it's never going to re fully replace interscaling is that the femoral nerve block is responsible for the quads and that's responsible for your ability to walk and ambulate and that can that could potentially keep you in the hospital. Your ability to yeah. move your arm and your shoulder is never going to really keep you in the hospital. Your ability to breathe though, phrenic nerve block, you know, true. the things they're trying to stay healthy, away from. True, but healthy patients are going to be able to overcome that in almost all that cases. true, but there's a lot of people who get a total shoulder. How many patients do you take care of? <laughs> also, I don't have that many. Few. <laughs> yeah. The total shoulder population does tend to skew, skew to older more likely when they're older, they're going to have some more comorbidities. Yeah. It's something to worry about, especially as the population ages. Right. And people well, are I aging mean, gracefully. I mean, honestly, like, our populations have older patients, more obstructive sleep apnea in our patients, more comorbidities. Definitely true. You know, and so the, the, the margin of error that we were willing to uh, accept with some amount of front nerve block, we don't have quite the same margin. And, you know, again, discussing the ambulatory surgery bit, there is a huge drive to do shoulder surgeries, as, uh, you know, if not ambulatory, at least 23-hour ops. And um, that's a big deal for somebody to have a respiratory complication at home. And not so I think the driving force is not that different from the fall risk in right. total knees. You know, I think they're both equally dangerous. Not to mention the permanent phrenic palsies that have been reported in some people with interscanning yeah. blocks, which is a really scary thing because yeah. it may or may not be reversible. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that um, it's an interesting conversation. It vaguely sounds like the adductor canal block discussion oh, yeah. to me. I, I'm sure it's going to generate a lot of posters for a few years now as people try it out in their institutions and try variations of it combination therapy or combination blocks like you were talking about. Combine a single shot superficial cervical plexus with a super uh, scapular catheter or something like that and see if they can get some... I know we have at Jefferson, we have, a, have an RCT that's um, partially funded by Halyard that's, that we have. We're about to enroll patients. We're comparing um, basically in, intra-articular injection by the surgeon with uh, bupivacaine versus uh, ductal canal blocks with rocivacaine and, and continuous catheter, so we'll have to see. 
know how that pans out, but it's just all kinds of variations on the blocks, you know, comparing one with the slate variation to the other one, catheter, single shot, injection, combining the two, you know, there's all kinds of flavors of it. So we do have to be weary as the push goes to more ambulatory surgery, even for joint replacement, there was a case poster of of a pump malfunction of one of the manufacturers where yeah, that's a whole nother set of complications. We, we see we see it every year yeah, with the, the whole pump whether it be the iliomastic ones the balls that it gets dumped into and probably a little bit of a higher risk other than the localized anesthetic toxicity any of those blocks 400 500 ml goes into the interscaling yeah. it's a big high risk of a respiratory complication We've and had. even if it doesn't do that if it just doesn't pump you know, we've sent somebody home with the expectation that's going to be part of their analgesia, and now it's not working at all. You know, it may not cause them a life-threatening situation, but it can be pretty devastating to a patient. If patient satisfaction, phone calls, you know, everything. Emergency room visits, and, right. you know, and then often a rapid escalation of opioids in some of those patients, which is consequential as well. Right. So, so jumping off of that point, um, one of the things that I have noticed is there is a, it seems like every year there's a, huge uh, interest in talking more and more about non-opioid therapy, and this meeting has not been short on that at all. Um, multiple sessions on non-opioid uh, pharmacology uh, that's currently available, um, new protocols uh, using things like IV lidocaine, ketamine in places that we haven't used it in the past, um, and, uh, uh, and then new novel therapies that are still in the research pipelines that hopefully provide us better drugs with less side effects. You know, so I, I think those are really uh, interesting uh, concepts that um, play plates for several years and hopefully change practice. But so speaking of that, IV lidocaine seems to be big at this, this meeting. I'm going to interrupt you guys. You keep talking. I'm going to try to see if I can get uh, the chair of the meeting over here and talk it to us. We'll transition to IV ketamine since uh, Dr. Eric Schwenk over here has a, has a big experience with it in Jeff, we'll bring Raj back to talk about IV lidocaine also, but just give us some of your experience. How you used it interoperatively in the OR, how you transitioned to the floor, and yeah. some of your published results, uh, um, how it helped Dan, out. Dan Warren this morning um, spoke on his panel a little bit about uh, about the use of ketamine in Virginia Mason, which um, I think pretty closely parallels our experience. We're going to hold on for a second. Okay, all right. I got two very important people Dr. here. Dr. Nasser and Dr. So, uh, uh, Chin here. Dr. Andres Macer is the chair of the meeting for this year. Dr. Kijin Chen is the uh, workshop chair. So all these people that are having a fantastic time at this meeting are primarily responsible for these two people. They're the ones that made this meeting, which we've already talked yesterday about how this is like probably the best Azure meeting we've had so far. At least 14, the most successful. Almost 1,400 people here. Which is pretty I mean, it's impressive. ridiculous. More than, what is it, 400 new people? Coming yeah, for the almost 46% new people. Close to 1380 in terms of registrants. So that's that's fantastic. And how are the workshops going? Uh, I was just going to say I've been walking to the workshops yesterday today. There's been a high level of energy. Everybody's really engaged. I had somebody comment to me. I want the faculty comment to me that this experience teaching in this workshop is completely different from teaching at something like ASA. Oh, yeah. Everybody's coming with this deep passion and interest for fun to be around people that are in love with what the same thing that you're in love with, you know, so nobody gets bored of talking about the thing that you love to talk about. But in the past, we've had workshops that didn't fill up, we've had workshops that people were like, oh, it wasn't easy to see this or see that, but I think we've dealt with a lot of those problems this year. I mean, you feel like it's been running real smoothly? I think so. I think the uh, layout, the physical layout, we've got demo scanning this year, which is really, really well. I think 
there's a, even on the participants, there's a lot more interaction faculty realize that that's one of the keys of the workshop. It's not just one way stuff. What did you guys inject that was new, that was like, like people have been craving that right. is, well, it hasn't been done to before. focus more on not repeating old material and really focusing on new blog techniques, especially in our workshops, um, integrating the focus, the point of carol for sound, which is you know, that's really very hot important right now. Very yeah. hot, exactly. Things like I hear a lot of people talking about it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was very successful. The Jan Bublik was I mean, very, very key in getting that started, so that was great. Then doing all of these uh, workshops on the new techniques like the tech blocks, Freda's playing, Director Spiney. A lot of interest in those. We have here the inventor of the Director Spiney, so. Lots of interest this year in trunk blocks. Yeah, yeah, all the plane blocks. It's an area we stayed away from for a long time. It was, you know, peripheral nerve blocks for arms and legs, and then it was epidurals for the trunk, and now everybody's trying to see what else can we do. I know we're using pec blocks a lot, serratus blocks, we're using uh, tap blocks and erector sheath blocks, but we haven't gotten to the erector spinae blocks, and I'm curious to see how people are using those. Uh, so I saw some people talking about those a lot. So outside of YouTube, this is where you're going to want to come to learn how to do pec blocks and serratus plane and erector spine. I hope YouTube is come not here. the destination. <laughs> no, this is, and, and, and there's workshops in between meetings too, right? right. So those are expanding yeah. as well. So um, for the clinical side, we did that, and then we also added for the non-clinical more of the business side of acute pain medicine, which is also yeah, lacking. that's something brand new. And that was brand new. Alex so, uh, Bisson. Right? Alex Bisson, yeah. So Alex and I were talking about how nobody really knows what that means, the practice management portfolio. So, yeah. I mean, ironic. Why, how do you market practice management? Yeah, right? it sounds so dull and dry, yeah. doesn't it? But why is it important to people? I mean, it's kind of important to everybody. Like, what if I'm an academic? I don't care, So right? essentially, it's, it's how do you sell your service to the administration of a hospital to get the support you need, and how do you make it profitable? Because without profit, nowadays, you're not going to have any support. You can actually you know, provide that service. So Alex has a lot of experience. He brought in people also from DC to work with CMS. He brought in Stansted. He brought in Sharon Merrick. So we have people who really work with Medicare and Medicaid to help us understand how insurers work and how we can make the service profitable, which is key. So that was very important. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that we assume are important to other people, yeah. but they're more important to us, right. and we got to learn how to talk the talk and walk the walk, and then that way we're all on the same page. Right. So that was when I spoke to Alex on uh, our podcast, that was what was striking to me was, it was all stuff that we kind of figured out, but we didn't really know why it worked, and he had sort of given verbiage to things that we sort of have tripped over and fell into. But what was really interesting to me is how involved he's been in the governmental side and understanding what the legislative and uh, you know uh, CMS rules and how those are going to affect right now and potentially in the future, which is still up in the air as well. How that's going to affect what we're hoping to just to do good medicine, but we won't be able to give him the opportunity to do all the cool stuff you're talking about. We don't understand the business side of it. So how was that attended? Very well. His uh, PMP is sold out over 80%. Wow. So that was great. And the PBLDs, the only four tables remaining at the end of the whole session were those practice management portfolio <laughs> tables. They were still hot topics. Yeah, and even the PBLDs were really selling out. So we've had a very successful... And those were traditionally sort of hit or miss, right? Usually 40%, maybe 50%. Gary was talking about that. The PL- PBLDs were um, really enjoyable. Yeah. The room was full. The room was full. We had people spill over to our PBLD because another one there was just no room at the table. You know? yeah. So it was that kind of thing where certain. Did you guys just have better lunch this year? Is that what it was? It was the wine tasting. It was the wine tasting. <laughs> right, that's the advantage of being there now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
strange the weather especially as well. Yeah, nice and rainy weather. Nobody wants to go anywhere. Yeah, there's nothing to see in San Francisco. Nothing to see. So, so one thing I was asked to do was to make sure anybody we have come over here to look in the camera and say, see you in New York. Because New York is going to be the World Congress of Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine. We're expecting a bigger crowd from all over the world. It's going to be a massive meeting with really, really some new stuff that we can't do at a normal meeting. I think they're talking about even a cadaver workshop for the regional side because we can't do that at a normal meeting. But with the heft of having two meetings in one, I think we're in so, so we'll get both of you guys to look right on the same. See you in New York. See you in New York. See you in New York. There you go. You're going to make me happy with that. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Good talking to you. Thank you guys yeah. for bringing me. Thank Good to see you. Man. I know you guys have work to do, so go back to it. Yeah, you'll get your coffee. Thank you. Well, that was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad we could get them on. They've worked incredibly hard to make this meeting such a success. I think it's the most successful one so far. Well, and, and you know, there was... Uh, People things think that these uh, subject matters and these topics just kind of happen, but in matter of fact, these are happening with very conscious decision making and trying to actively figure out what's. Uh, it's like a, what's the Wayne Gretzky thing? You know, don't skate to the puck, skate to where the puck's going to be. Um, so that's that's kind of what they're trying to do and. It's not a perfect science, but I think they're seeing that things like practice management portfolio are affecting more people. No longer can an academic just say, hey, you know, this is what I want to do and we're going to do it. We have to think about what are the budgetary implications? Are we going to get reimbursed? Is this going to be a financially solvent practice of acute pain management? And I think it's an acknowledgement of, of the different kinds of practices. It's academic and private. I mean, Ezra's you know, a very diverse society, so I think doing these events is kind of Ezra acknowledging the, the different needs of people. I mean, some people are in a position to deal with administrators, some people are just purely doing the clinical part, so you really can get both. This is this meeting. This is a cheap plug. This is the importance of supporting ASRA, supporting your local state society, supporting the ASA if you're an anesthesiologist, because you have they all send people, including ASRA, behind the scenes to work with CMS, Medicare, and Medicaid, so they could show the government and the insurers why we do what we do, how it benefits the patient, how it helps the overall system. And in so, a vacuum, people will fill it in with other information. Exactly. Well, it's, and, it's and, great and we do not clinical medicine, but we have to show right. the powers that be. So we people do like it. you have to come to these meetings, and you can interact with people like that and learn some of this stuff, right. or maybe even be part of it and participate in, uh, in helping to keep track of some of this stuff. And I think we should at least mention the, the social media uh, expansion that's happened during the meeting. I mean, I know Ed Yeah, do we have anything to do with that? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. But small. We're just all following Ed's coattails, so, you know, we're trying to keep up. You know, I mean, impressions for what it's worth, there were over a million impressions of just after yesterday alone, and I think that was almost what we reached. Explain to people what, you know, what is Impressions is basically a, somewhat of a measure of the reach of, uh, of Twitter, so it's, it's a number that's calculated by multiplying uh, the number of followers by the number of tweets, and that number basically was a little over a million after last year's spring meeting, almost at the end of the meeting, whereas we've reached that number after first almost day. the first day, yeah. so you know what that tells you is that maybe there's just people with a lot of followers, but I think what's going to pan out is that there's just a lot more people participating in Twitter, tweeting, and um, just you know listening to the conversation and being a part of it, so I think that, and, and people are able to make a lot good connections and network uh, through that. Well, I've so seen people on Twitter, a lot of people from here, but a lot of people who aren't here too. Um, a lot of people interacting, really appreciative of the information that they're getting from here, the conversation that they're happening. And we hope that, our hope is, is that someday they get an opportunity to come to the meeting themselves, you know, and, 
and seeing things like this, say, hey, you know, I really want to be there and be part of this communication, this this conversation, and this family that's here at Azra. And I think that hopefully people see that on social media. There's been a lot of people tweeting from across the pond who are excited for next spring to come to New York also yeah. for the World Institute of Pain. Right. To check so, that meeting out to all get everyone's ideas together, which I think would be very beneficial. Yeah, we had to bring in Vince Chan for that meeting just because nobody else could handle that quite that complex of a meeting for the Had to turn Congress. outside the U.S. for that one. Well, he's probably got more experience at doing this than anybody else still around and uh, and still keep a level head trying to manage and juggle all these balls up in the air. So, um, Well, anything else in the exhibit hall? Have you guys been walking around this exhibit hall at all? You know, I'm always curious to see what the new gadget and the new uh, new device is. Or the I just thought it was kind of funny. Needle that, uh, Jamie Brown and I were talking yesterday about how it was pretty funny that X Perel and On Cue are positioned right next to each other as you walk in the hall. Right. It's pretty funny. You got kind of a uh, small little aisle separating the two biggest competitors in the steel cage so. between the two of them. <laughs> well, it's 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 definitely an active conversation. I mean, it's still been ongoing. I feel like uh, for the last few years, this conversation has been going back and forth, and nobody's really come up with a final answer. And I mean, in a nutshell, for those of you who haven't really felt the conversation, it's sort of the idea of a catheter being the way you get duration, or a single shot that you can get the duration. And I think everybody would love a silver bullet just to kind of make pain go away. But every time we've done that in the past, we've had issues. And so I think there's a understandable uh, timidity with just accepting uh, a liposomal bupivacaine as being the single shot solution to everything. Um, but maybe in certain circumstances it would be. And I don't. And I think we're still trying to tease that out. Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the, tr the clinical trials using uh, Exparel um, in peripheral nerve blocks are still ongoing, so we kind of don't have the answers for that. Yeah. I, I think so far, I mean, based on what Hilfeld and others have lectured about, there's not a whole lot of support to use it compared to just plain bupivacaine. Uh, and, I mean, it, certainly you avoid the, some of the uh, cumbersome aspects of a catheter and the management, but I think in terms of duration and, and efficacy, it still remains to be proven for the cost, so we'll see. Uh, I know there's some ongoing studies still going on about uh, hoping to tease we'll out that see. question. Come here, Dr. Suresh, we, we've got uh, another wonderful guest with us. I'm so glad you can make it. This is Dr. Suresh. He's from uh, Children's Hospital in Chicago, and um, he is, um, I, I consider him a mentor and uh, hopefully a friend if he allows me to be. And <laughs> so he's always got a great perspective on what's happening. He's been coming to these meetings for I don't know how many years. I won't Almost reveal. Almost 20 years. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't going to reveal your age or anything like that. But <laughs> So, um, you know, one thing we always were trying to talk about is what's new? What's What do you think? It, you know, you've seen the trends shift over the years, right? right? right. And what's the hot topic or where is the medicine moving to? Where do you think the medicine's moving to now? Now, you deal primarily with kids, but obviously right. you know about what's going on with the adults as well. So I'm actually quite interested in seeing these major plexus blocks moving away and getting more into fascial plane blocks. And that's, that's, that's a, what we were talking about just now. Yeah. It's an incredible shift and a trend in my own practice over the last 20 years. Um, especially in kids. I, especially in kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the one interesting thing that I'd like to see is, you know, there's all these new methodologies that are coming up, but I don't see any significant uh, prospective studies that can actually tell us if these are effective. What, 
what specifically are you thinking of? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about everything, including an adductor canal block, because, you know, I personally had an adductor canal block. As a patient? A, as a patient. Okay. So you got right, so, so, so a menisectomy, and I didn't think it worked. Right. So the point is, uh, I'm yeah. not so sure that, you know, sometimes we as practitioners have all these variety of different fascial plane blocks. You know, for a fact, if I had a femoral nerve block, it would have worked. Right. So, right. so. Well, you definitely didn't we have, have leg weakness be, when it didn't work, right? I know, but, but what I'm trying to say is, you know, right. we, we ought to exercise some caution because at the end of the day, the end user has to be comfortable. Well, we were talking we about superscapular blocks in the yeah. course of interscalings, and right. to me, it, the conversation vaguely mimics the conversation when we started talking about adductor canals to right. replace femorals. Right. And so my same skepticism is coming through. I, I wouldn't care. I, I don't discount you at all. In fact, I'm worried that we are shifting away from what we do best. To with loss of evidence. With loss of evidence. I mean, we have solid evidence in certain things. Yeah. Like an interscalene block for sure works. Right. If you have right. shoulder surgery. Yeah. Why not give it, the it patient work. the benefit? It works really well. No, that's the point. Really that's the well. point. That's I mean, the like point I'm trying to say. Well. It's like a that's magic cool. trick, yeah. you know, like so, how well it works. So I'm a little, uh, I, I have cautious optimism in the fact that some of these different newer techniques are going to eventually prevail, but I think you know we need a little bit more science. So in kids, though, you're doing a lot of blocks under general, almost all of them under general, right? All of them, right? correct. So, but wouldn't your temptation to be to accept or move towards some of these blocks that are moving away from the large nerves to the smaller nerves, like you said, to the fascial planes? I mean, isn't that where you would love for it to go? Well, it's kind of interesting, though. So here again, you know, what is our end goal? Our end goal is to make these kids comfortable. Our end goal is to reduce opioid utilization in these patients. And to me, I think, you know, the tried and truer techniques are far better. Uh, I agree with you, you know, the concern. But with ultrasonography, we have such great precision. I mean, when we first started doing ultrasonography, the machines are not even as good as, they weren't even as good as what we have today. The resolution is phenomenal. The uh, image acquisition is so phenomenal that I think, you know, we have a much better perspective as to where we are. Do you guys use fluoro also? No, you're never. Doing your Almost never. Okay. Never. So you're doing it all under ultrasound? Right, right. Even neuraxial stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so so the question always comes up, and this comes up every year for the last several years I've been coming up, is when will we consider it safe to do adults under general anesthesia? Because our surgeons, I know, so we've started doing a lot of trunkal blocks for many of our colorectal surgeries, hernias, and all this kind of thing. And the patients uh, enjoy and appreciate the pain benefits afterwards, but they complained to the surgeons that the poking was uncomfortable. And well, I don't see why we need to do some of those fascial plane blocks under, uh, without general anesthesia. So, and, and, and you know, that may be, and you you guys have experience in children. That you've we been have data, we, we published data safe? on about 50,000 blocks. But so it's why don't we do safe. all our blocks? Are we, do we have data to prove that what we're doing in modern regional anesthesia is yeah. unsafe under general anesthesia? So here's, here's another dichotomy, right? So we almost always will say, oh, geez, you know, we are doing this with patients with sedation, yada, yada. But 
think about it. At the end of the day, you give me a milligram of Ativan, I'm completely out. Can you tell I somebody that have you're no idea? Market. Yeah. Now we started going towards less and less sedation for our bucks for that reason, yeah. and it's also part of our ERAS protocols to stay away from a lot of these uh, medications that are going to linger past the operation too long. Um, especially since we're giving them gabapentinoids and we're giving yeah. them IV lidocaine, and all these things can be sedating um, in combination with benzodiazepines. So right. we're trying to get away from that. But the question is, is if we did do it under general, with ultrasound the way it is, um, are, we, are we still talking about the same risk that we were talking about 15 years ago or 20 years ago that in, everybody was adamant you cannot do right. this under general right. anesthesia? I think some of the more interesting sessions, like yesterday in the morning, we had refresher courses on, you know, the nerve anatomy, yeah. the sonar anatomy. I think one of the things that we as a specialty should be looking at is the microanatomy of the nerve. I think, you know, we have this global perspective as to where we need to be. People need to understand more of the microanatomy. Once you understand the microanatomy, you know where to stay away from. Right. And I think, you know, we're very facile with our techniques. It's far better than what it used to be even 10 years ago. Yeah. But I think, you know, the more we understand the anatomy of the nerve, the better off we are. So I'm hoping that... Well, then we need know, technology to be able to see that anatomy. So absolutely. it's one thing to look at histological samples or electron microscopes to get a sense right. of what that one sample looks like. But the reality is, is that we deal with variation, you know, patient to patient. Sure. You know, I teach my residents that the thing that you see in the textbook is not normal. Absolutely. It's one variation of normal. And so when you look at your patient, you don't call them abnormal. That's just another variation of normal. And we but, get hung up on this. We need to find the perfect picture. But maybe this is the time for us to say, hey, are we at a stage in regional anesthesia where we need to move up and go to maybe 3D, 4D imaging? Because look at the obstetrician. I mean, you, you oh, go yeah. there and you look at the resolution on this baby. Yeah, I saw them have, it's incredible. They have virtual reality now. Have you seen oh, this? So they, yeah, they, you put yeah. on your glasses and you can see your fetus in three-dimensional space. But but that's what I'm saying. If, if, yeah. if they can do it in obstetrics, yeah. I'm sure we can do it. Maybe that's what we need to adopt. Stop thinking more about That was 3D, a hot topic, 4D. I feel like, a few years ago. 3D, I don't see and it anymore. And it just fell off the wagon. Part of it happened. is because the, you know, it's an expensive yeah. uh, endeavor. Yeah. And I think, I mean, think about it again. You know, let's reset our clock back 15 years ago, who would have ever thought that we'd be using ultrasound so prevalently? On places like the spine? No, right. even for just even a for pro peripheral nerve block. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when they described this, you thought somebody's completely off their yeah. rocker trying to do this. So. Yeah. Anyway. That's, that's great. So, do, well, you see anything, you. Uh, do you see anything that people should be keeping an eye on at this meeting that you think that they're, they're like, this is where Huck is going to? I think there's a lot of things that are being discussed about safety, about efficacy, about pharmacodynamics, pharmacokinetics. I think people should be on the ball. I think, you know, it's time for us to start adopting adjuvants. Time for us to start adopting safe adjuvants to our local anesthetic mixtures. Yeah. I think we are at a time where, you know, again, being a practitioner who's even used nerve catheters, etc., 
I now find that maybe patients are not comfortable going home with nerve catheters. Yeah, that is the flip side of them. The flip it is side bulky, is it's, it's bulky and you have to care for it. You know, we are so interested in making sure that they are comfortable. Why not get rid of all these nerve catheters? Think about something that's going to make them comfortable. Well, I'm going I'm to do uh, one last well, thing. So next year is the World Congress absolutely. Um, in New York City. Yes. So uh, we've been asked to make sure if you come by as a guest, yes. you look right over there and say, see you in New York. See you in New York. There you go. Excellent. So, <laughs> thank you, Ron. Thank you so much for thank joining you. us. Thank you for yeah. inviting me over. Yeah. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Good to see you always. Thank you. That was great. So. Yeah, I think, um, so we're going to wrap up here for today. Um, we are going to be back tomorrow. We're going to do it a little bit earlier tomorrow. I think it's 9.30. Um, we're going to have a break in the exhibit hall. 9.30 a.m. Pacific time, so that's noon. Uh, noon 30 at the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, the East Coast. Noon 30 in the East Coast. So uh, you figure out the rest of the time zones from there. And um, we're glad you guys could join us. We had... Glad that somebody stops today, by and uh, talks, and you guys got the best so. of the best today. So that was awesome. Um, this is a meeting you guys want to come to next year, New York City. So you want to go for it? See you in New York. Since it's my home state and my home city, we'll see you guys in New York for the World Institute of Pain. Can't wait to see you all there. And see you then, Eric. See you in New York. Yeah, see you in New York next year. Thanks, guys. Spring 2017 meeting in San Francisco, and this is the final day of the meeting, and we have, of course, our very uh, uh, important guest with us today, uh, Kumar Bhuvanendran, who's our president-elect. For how many hours now, and then you officially get to be president? Yes, in the next uh, couple of three, four hours, I, I will become the countdown to the Azra presidency, and yeah. look forward to uh, being one of the, uh, for working for you for the Azra Society. So, so we've had almost the whole meeting done now. What do you think? What was your highlights? of this meeting. What do you I think? mean, the, the attendance has been astronomical. We have greater than 47% increase in the number of abstracts submitted, and the scientific content is outstanding. Yeah. Uh, the cutting-edge technology that was taught here and the emerging science, whether it is basic or clinical, is very unique. It is a concept of regional anesthesia and pain medicine. Did you get to see any of the posters and stuff with some of the people doing that? I did. Um, I, was, I was also looking at some of the best of meeting uh, posters this morning, which I feel like are all publication quality, looking at uh, oral and, and uh, IBSC to Minifin. It's a nice study. And um, also the study looking at uh, the care of hip fractures in the underserved population. I think that was a nice study too. I mean, the, the hip fractures, it's an increasing patient population. Uh, you know, there are so many people that we see typically in the evenings, and the, the elderly patients coming back with hip fractures, and we have speci uh, specific recommendations on this. And in fact, the ASRA was part of the uh, society that commented on some of the anesthetic plans that should be done for when patients do come back with hip fractures uh, on a national level as well. A lot of morbidity, uh, not even mortality, but a lot of morbidity associated with those hip fractures and pain management in those older patients who are the most susceptible to the side effects of all these opioids that people are getting. Correct. And so we have to treat them early. Uh, studies have demonstrated that early interventions for them surgically just uh, need to decrease mortality and morbidity. And we as anesthesiologists need to be able to provide the care so that these patients can have a good outcome. So one of the comments on that uh, poster was about uninsured and insured differential treatment of patients, um, you know, as an advocacy group. 
you know, where do you think Azure fits into helping narrow those disparities uh, moving forward? Well, I mean, th those kind of uh, patterns have been seen uh, in var various publications, it's not only in the uh, anesthesia world, but in the surgical world, but it's also seen in the way patients are treated for hypertension, uh, the way the opioids are prescribed, those kind of uh, differentiations have been seen with various other medical conditions. Uh, we obviously want to have, uh, there's no discriminative effect, but we kind of want to provide the best possible evidence for the physicians taking care of this patient. Uh, at the most critical time that they need. But, you know, and so it's been a great meeting here, having here in the ASRA 2017, and, you know, we, we look forward to seeing most of you in 2018. More of you, more of you. More of you, that's right. right. At the uh, World Congress, as you can see, the exhibit hall is already uh, uh, busy uh, from the morning breaks that we had. Um, next year will be a very unique year. Uh, with the World Congress uh, happening in New York. We're going to be closer to you guys. So. We are. No, no cross-country flight this time. <laughs> yeah. Train ride up there. So every four years, uh, one, one of the sister societies gets to host the World Congress. And we are fortunate uh, this uh, next 2018 to host the World Congress where we expect to have uh, the European Society of Bridge Anesthesia, ASRA, the Asianic Society, the Latin American Society, and the African Society all come. We have made a conscious effort to try to decrease some of the registration fees for the developing countries, trying to again encourage uh, the, uh, the developing country uh, physicians, healthcare providers to come to the World Congress so they can learn the new technologies and uh, be able to go back and treat their patients. Um, it's going to be in New York, in Marriott Marquis, and uh, in, on April, uh, in, in early April. Yeah. Any, any special uh, features you can talk about at all for that meeting? Like I know, for example, this meeting we featured the practice management portfolio, which was a nice addition that wasn't there previously. Anything you can... Uh so what, what's unique about it is that we're going to have a, a large session, lots of parallel sessions. We are going to have acute pain and we're going to have chronic pain in that meeting as in one composition. So we'll have about uh, 60 or 70 percent of the lectures in acute pain. We will definitely have a, some component of the practice management. We we'll also believe in having a, a, a special courses for the nurse practitioners, the PAs, in this uh, meeting as well because uh, we, we interact with them. We want to be able to teach them acute pain and uh, you know how to manage this patient post-operatively after the surgical procedure. So we intend to partner with ARCUS, the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, who will be there present again. Um, giving talks on a surgical perspective and what we have decided um, or we are going to be doing is just to focus on some of the surgical models such as total knee replacements. Uh, the knee, re knee replacement population is increasing in this country and so we are going to get a patient there as a central focus and then we're going to have a surgeon, we're going to have an anesthesiologist, we're going to have a physical therapist and an internist all working together to see how this patient who had expert surgery from a patient's perspective, from a physician's perspective and how to put all of it together so that we can understand how the patients feel about the surgery as well. I feel like it's this great. whole meeting and the society is moving in that direction, kind of working up to that culmination because we've moved from years ago where all we're talking is, is what needle are we going to use, which local are we going to use, and okay, uh, which brand of ultrasound. And now at this meeting, it's ERAS protocols, multimodal, outcome focus, outcomes, it's um, collaborative and communication, implementation, um, you know, all of that stuff that leads to a advanced perioperative care model. 
And what you're describing is a, a, a case example of that, essentially, right? Right, and, and I think always believe that if you have a patient in of focus, then you build up from there. The care is going to be superb. Right. And I think so. I think even as an asthma society, we care for our members. And we want to try and build up around that. And what do the members care about patients? So we want to build up on that and keep uh, building up. The challenge up. then will be getting some of our message out to the, to the rest of the country. And that's, I guess, you know, some of the some of the role of the ASRA members to get that out to their community. Yeah. So you have more people to join the society, but even if they're not, to, to kind of uh, lecture and to just get that material out there. I think we're one of the early societies, or probably one of the first few societies to have patients yeah. in an annual meeting in the World Congress on the podium uh, who has had surgery and to be talking about this. Then we're also going to have some medical legal panels. We've already lined up uh, some attorneys to come and discuss uh, medical legal cases uh, that will be relevant, uh, both in the acute pain and the chronic pain as well. So we're expecting a very... I've been hearing that from people at this meeting, that they feel like... Um, we have to get out of our little bubble and start understanding the practice management stuff, the medical legal stuff, the patient perspective, the surgeon perspective. That is points of conversation I've heard during this meeting, too, is that we need to expand our uh, area of understanding, but also area of potential influence uh, in our hospitals and in our uh, surgical area, is that we can't just live in this tiny bubble. I totally agree. It's not just good for the practice of anesthesiology and pain management, but you got to try to have everybody encompass it and have an equal voice in the discussion. Uh, it's not to say that somebody should be in charge, but it should be equal voice in the discussion process and have self-respect uh, for each other and uh, listen to their points of conversation would make it better. Um, I think we talked earlier that there's going to be... Um, because we're leveraging two meetings at once for the 2018 meeting in New York, um, we're going to be able to do some special stuff like uh, cadaver workshops that we've never really been able to do. Correct. We're going to have a pre-meeting workshops for cadavers, uh, and we're going to be inviting uh, several selected pain, uh, fellows uh, to come to New York to be trained by the best. Um, we call it the... the the peak of our neuromodulation performance being taught by international faculty on Wednesday. And uh, so we hope some of you will be there. Uh, this is going to be a very unique opportunity to learn from the international faculty, not just the American faculty, on various neuromodulation techniques, new waveforms. And then uh, we'll also have the um, examination for acute pain and a uh, special course for focus, the point of care ultrasound. That seems to be the hot, new hot, hot buzz, hot. buzz uh, and we I think everybody both participated in the various, you've done the, yeah. done the workshop in San Diego, I did a mini one here, it was, yeah. it was great. And I've heard very good things about uh, yeah. both the full course and, I mean, the full course I can speak to was excellent, but even the, 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 the smaller one, one here was very well received and, um, and at least got people's brains thinking about what else to do. Now, for all those special things, are people going to have to apply or how do they get into yeah, that? So, There's going to be a limited amount of space. Yeah, so... We want to be able to select the uh, top, the fellows that are most interested in doing neuromodulation to come to the meeting, and then um, we are working in a, in a, in a, as a committee to select the best fellows to come to and learn at that critical point in time. Um, and then obviously some of the other workshops will be open to several other people. Um, and you know, so as as a, as a society moving forward, we want to plan well ahead of time. We've been planning for this World Congress for about two to three years now, and we have got the uh, various other sister societies all engaged, um, and 
they will be doing a lot of uh, marketing for us and so hopefully some of you can uh, spread the word for the World Congress and in 2019 we're going to be in Vegas. Be back in Vegas. So, <laughs> yeah, this comes out quick, doesn't it? It's just right around the corner. So make sure you guys are paying attention for notices from ASRA and from your sister societies about the World Congress next year. It's going to be, so we get it once every 20 years, right? So Correct. it's a big deal. And so ASRA is taking that seriously and we want to make it a great event for everybody. They pick New York City. International city. You know. International city, great for everybody to get to, but there's so much to do there. Correct. Um, we don't want you leaving the meeting, but come to the meeting, but there's lots of other stuff to do as well while you're there. Um, and then follow up in Las Vegas in 2019. I mean, that's uh, this is just keeps getting better. Yeah. So I think that this is a great community to be part of, and um, it's been neat to see how Azure is flexing and changing and adapting to the needs of the community and not just getting stuck in its old ways. And that will keep to be moving. And it's like Raj is going to be running the 2019 meeting and he's going to be chairing the meeting. And so uh, look well, forward to it. I have a lot of uh, uh, large expectations, but we'll, we'll try to meet those and exceed them wherever we can. So um, give us input too. What do you like, what you don't like? So Because we're making those plans right now. And uh, we want to hear from people about what uh, you wish you could some see at a meeting and what would drive you to come that you've never come before. Um, and it can be something small, it can be a whole workshop, and just let us know what it, what it is that makes you definitely come and what it makes you maybe just a little bit more that you want to make it, uh, uh, make yourself attend a meeting. And we'll listen. Yeah, yeah. that's true. All right, see you, Great. See yeah. you in New York. See you okay. all in New York. So we gotta do, you got to do your uh, point the camera and say, see you in New York. See you in New York. There we go. <laughs> all right, thank you guys. Thanks.